Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. I ended up this, by, well, back up. Stu, you owe your daughter a car after what she said there. I kept thinking about that. That is the best answer. That was the best answer you could possibly give. So uh, good luck on that, buddy. Um, I was thinking this past few minutes um, as, as as over there with Caitlin, and she's 12 years old now, and um, is getting right on that little edgy part where I want to be more the adult person than the little kid person. Y'all remember that when you had kids like that? They're they're kind of they and they they want the freedom to be able to bounce back and forth, and so for for every hour you see them change and you want to go okay are we little kid now or are we young woman Caitlin and this morning all the little boys and girls were coming in here and they had their their uh, palm branches and one particular one particular child will not be uh, called out but one particular child is walking in he's going and then he sees his mom who's watching him, and the mom gives him the stink eye. Y'all know what the stink eye is, right? That's what moms give. They practice this before, while they're pregnant, they practice this. And she gives him the look, and he immediately, you know, he's he's all about that. And I, I reached down to Caitlin, and I said, hey, do you remember when you did that? Because you did that here in our church. We had a bunch of little kids that were doing that there. Do you remember that? And she goes, no, Daddy, I don't remember anything like that. And then she looks over and she points at this particular young young guy and she goes, I never did that, ever. Guys, listen, when we have things like this that happen, we have not, not high Sundays, but when you come into worship service, I hope you come in with an expectation not of great music. We got that. Not of great preaching. Well... Not of all of those things. I hope what you come in here for is that you are expecting an encounter with God. That you expect and look forward to God speaking your name and speaking to your heart. Because the Bible shares very very clearly that that's what God wants to do in your life this morning. He wants you to have an encounter with Him. And we're going to share this morning a a set of scripture, very well known. It it is appropriate to what we're talking about, about expectations. Was this what you were expecting? Was this what you were expecting? Uh, We have a a picture, I think, that's coming up. Um, On November 22nd of 1963, President John F. Kennedy along with Governor Conley and his wife, traveled through a motorcade in downtown Dallas. Before that, earlier in the morning, they had actually been over in Fort Worth. They spent the night in Fort Worth. One of my seminary professors got up early and and skipped his first period class in order to go ahead and sneak downtown and see the president give his address uh, to the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce, and it was outside the hotel they were they were staying at. It was 
it was kind of rainy, and they weren't really sure that there was going to be good weather for this Texas trip. Kennedy was doing this as kind of a pre-launch to his re-election campaign that would begin in two months. Around January of 1964, he was going to announce that he would seek the Democratic Party's re-election. You all know what happened. It was completely unexpected. Right prior to the first gunshot that rang out in Dealey Plaza, Governor Conley, who was seated in front in a jump seat, and in spite of what you have read uh, or or have seen in the movie JFK, which was a travesty of, of that assassination. He was seated on a seat that was lower and was not directly in front of, but was slightly canted offside uh, to where the, the rifle shots were said to have come from. Conley turns over his left shoulder and he turns to the president and he says these words, you can't say that Texans don't love you now. And he turned back around as they turned on Elm Street, and we know what happened. We're going to share a story about another parade, another entry into a city that has all of the same earmarks and hallmarks of 1963. Everyone who was there was cheering and was excited about the president being there and now the king coming to Jerusalem. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. And if you do not, we're going to share it together. We do this every Sunday. We stand not because it is part of our tradition here, but we stand when we read God's Word to honor the reading of his holy and perfect word. So I'm going to invite you to stand together and read with me these passages. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you, says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. Mm. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, he came in through the eastern side of the city. Now, there were many gates in the walls that were around Jerusalem at the time. And by the way, if you ever get over there uh, to see Jerusalem, I've shared this before, the wall that is currently there is not the original wall that we're talking about and we read about in the Bible. That was actually a reconfigured wall that was built upon parts of the existing wall. 70 A.D., the Roman 10th Legion comes in and they lay siege to all of Jerusalem because the Jews had revolted against Rome. They send the 10th Legion in because those were the crack troops and they breached the city walls by using fire. It was limestone and just like our sanctuary over here, the rock that is there is limestone. It's a type of Austin limestone. Just like that, you can go ahead and breach that by, by applying enough heat to it. Limestone is unique because it captures water inside the stone itself. And if you heat that stone significantly, the water will expand and it will cause the rock to blow up. That's how the Romans breached rock walls in those days. Now what ends up happening here is as as you see that wall now, if you were to go to the eastern side of the city, there were two gates that were there. And what happens is Jesus ends up making entry in that point. There's a reason for it. His entry point was so that it would be considered not a threat that the invaders would have used to conquer Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem had been a a city that had been laid siege to many times. And many of those times, as, as armies would come up to it, they would try to do what armies are prone to do, find the least resistance and get in there the quickest and the fastest. Does that count for for marine strategy? Quickest, fastest, get there quickest with the most and try and take it before the casualties mount up. He came in instead through the eastern gate. And by doing that, and on the back of of a humble animal, instead of on the back of a horse, something that was a military a military threat, he simply came in with the idea of saying, I am the Messiah and I'm fulfilling God's prophecy. At the same time, there was a second parade in the city. We know this because Roman historians talk about it. That was the entry of Pontius Pilate. He arrived on the same day as Jesus arrived in what we know as the triumphal entry. Pilate comes in with part of a cohort, part of an element of the 10th Legion who were there as his own personal bodyguards. He was was hated because all of the Romans were hated. And as he enters in, it was clear to anybody that saw that parade that this was a guy that you did not want to mess with. He had all of the authority and the power of the military of Rome and the might of that Roman army could be called down to crush any rebellion. Jesus ends up coming in on a different parade. Pilate comes in on a parade that says, I'm the one in charge. And I want to share with you this morning that you and I must choose the king and the leader that you want in your life. You must choose between one of the two. You must choose either that God is going to be Lord completely of your life or that you will simply say, I will go ahead and trust 
in the things that I can see and touch and that I know that have value and impact in our culture and in our society. I can put it in my back pocket. I can put it in my purse. I can go ahead and wield the power that I will have. And you must choose which king you want. That is essentially what God requires of you and me today. The convenient God that shows up only at the crisis of your life and meet you here on Sunday mornings. You can have that God, or the God of all creation, who's able to move mountains and is unable to be controlled. And God sets before you the very thing that He set before the inhabitants of Jerusalem that day. Choose your king. Choose your king. Which one do you want? For some, it was power over love. The Jews that watched Jesus enter the holy city that morning were expecting a Messiah that would rid them of the Roman filth that occupied their country. They wanted a warrior like David who would lead them to glory and be right in every portion of his being and right every wrong that had been done to them by the occupation. He came instead on the back of that borrowed donkey, not threatening anyone. And at the same time as Jesus entered in Jerusalem and as Pilate entered, the contrast could not have been clearer. As a matter of fact, some of the Jews would have probably said, we would have liked if if Jesus, if the Messiah had come in like that. Well, let me share with you very quickly. This is a free part of the sermon you get. Jesus came that day on a borrowed donkey donkey on a little colt by the way if you read that you say okay well he's got a donkey and a colt. I thought there was only one animal you know the reason you had two these animals were small one of them is going to give out read again the scripture and you've got the disciples putting their cloaks on both of them why because somewhere during this time of entry Jesus is going to have to switch mounts because he doesn't have an Arabian charger It's not going to be like when He returns and splits the sky open. And the Bible says that He will bring His army, His army, to do battle with the army of the devil. I rather suspect that day Jesus will be mounted a little differently, don't you? My same seminary professor that saw John F. Kennedy that morning He put it this way, when we studied that in New Testament theology, he said this way, Jesus is coming back. Do you all believe that? Jesus is coming? He said, but this time he's mad. This time he's mad. Is he mad at you and me? No, he's mad at what sin has done to this world. He is mad at the folks that were given every chance to go ahead and turn in faith to Him, but have rejected Him totally. And this time He is coming as the warrior king that the Jews wanted that day. But instead, by God's mercy, God held that off so that you and I could come to faith today, April 2019. You still have that opportunity this morning to receive Christ by faith. To say, I choose not power over love, but instead something far greater. 
Choosing Jesus over others. You see, if you choose Jesus and His love over others and other things, it means that you also choose God's manner of work in your life and in this world. It will mean that you don't get the gratification of watching God stomp His enemies and yours. Now, there's something really appealing about that. God, would you go ahead and let me... You know, I don't want to go through the tribulation. I don't want to go through all those bad times I read in the book of Revelation. But I'd really like it to be here when I see, and then you name whatever politician you don't like, and you say, see that person finally get theirs. Let share with you about that. Did you know your Bible says that we are to pray for those people that represent us? Well, I am not praying for Nancy Pelosi. I am not going to do that. And I'm not praying for Donald Trump. The Bible says God doesn't care if you're Democrat, conservative, Republican, liberal, libertarian, socialist, communist. Harold, did I get them all? No, I didn't. Or if you're a nothing God says you and I as Christ followers are to pray for our leaders. Now folks, when we pray, please don't pray. We talked about this Wednesday night. Please don't pray. God, I pray that you curb stomp that person over there. Because what prayer does, and the reason God says you are to pray for your enemies and those that hate you and defile you and do everything wrong to you, the reason we are to do that is because when we pray, God begins to shape us in His image. It's not about what we're saying to God. It's about what God is trying to do in your life. And by humbling yourself to pray for someone that you don't like, and especially somebody that's a leader that you don't like, listen to me. When God gets you to do that, you are more likely to go ahead and share the grace that covered and washed away your sin in the life of somebody else. And you'll understand that grace a whole lot more when you look at that person you don't like and you pray for them And you begin to see them as God sees them, not as a person that is his enemy, but is instead a person that is redeemable. Every one of you in this this sanctuary this morning is a convicted, deadly, death-deserving sinner. And that includes all those little boys and girls that are next door. Oh no, they haven't done anything. They are born with the curse of of original sin. My Bible says, how can, Heather, how can that beautiful little girl you hold be a sinner? There's no way. She's absolutely helpless. She hasn't done anything wrong. Well, the Bible says that she is covered by the sin of Adam. And that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, paid for that. You choose Jesus over all of the other gods, all of the other things, all of the other people. You choose God. She got mad now and she's leaving, right? I call her a sinner and she's, everybody look, wave goodbye to her. She's got a bad diaper. That's a sin. All right, get out. (laughs) Boy, that worked out really well. 
Every one of us want to choose something that we can control. But when you choose Jesus, you choose one that refuses to be controlled. Instead, you give him and you see him as he reaches out to the foulest person that you might know and offer them the same salvation he offers you and me. I want to share with you a little bit about a foul person that many people don't like. I've shared this before. I shared it back in 2010. I got the privilege of meeting Ted Turner. When I was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Madison, Florida, one of my best friends, Ben Bass, he's been here and worshiped with us a bunch of times. He's about 6'5 and about 270 pounds. He is a monster of a man. His brother actually manages Ted Turner's uh, ranch. It is the largest private land holding in the entire state of Florida. And it is over east, it is east of Madison. I'm sorry, it's west of Madison and east of Tallahassee around a little town called Monticello. If you go south of Interstate 10 and you go about two miles, everything from there almost to the coast belongs to Ted Turner. And this particular ranch, the particular time that I got to meet Ted Turner, was right after he had fired Stuart Varney, who had worked for CNN and had this Money, this money Matters program. It was the, the highest rated program on cable television of, of any type dealing with money. And he fired Stuart Varney because Varney came in with ash on his forehead for Ash Wednesday. Varney was a Christ follower. And he came into the staff meeting, and when Ted Turner saw that, he began to, in front of about 75 or 80 other office workers, began to go ahead and revile him, scream at him. Go wash that dirt off of your head. You believe in that, in that idiot religion of a guy that couldn't save himself and was crucified? You are a loser. This is the guy that has got hit the number one program. On, on, you are a loser. And as he says that to him, Varney simply stands up and with absolute grace walks out. He said, don't come back here if you're going to go ahead and have that on your forehead. Now let me tell you a little backstory. How many of you in here know Jane Fonda, who she is? It's okay. You can raise your hand. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Jane Fonda, okay, this is Clyde's opinion. Train wreck. Okay? Unbelievable actress. She ends up with four other ladies in downtown Atlanta because of some problems she is having in her life, she goes to a Bible study with them and through that ends up eventually confessing Christ as her Lord. You know why that happened? You know why all of a sudden Ted Turner, he's married to her, okay? He's married to her. Yeah, yeah. At that very moment, they're going through, the moment that he exploded on Stuart Varney, they are going through this nasty fight as a husband and wife because she has become a Christ follower. 
Want to know why he was so anti-God? It was like everyone around him all of a sudden was, was choosing Jesus instead of him. Stuart Varney, by the way, leaves, leaves CNN and was unemployed for 11 days. You can see him now on Fox. That's not to say, yay, Fox. It is simply tell you, folks, that sometimes when we see people that have, that have struggles in their life and that have not chosen Jesus and they react in a way that the folks that saw Jesus enter into Jerusalem in five short days were the very ones that were screaming, get rid of Him! Crucify Him! Give us Barabbas! Give us anybody but that guy! He didn't, he didn't fulfill what we thought He ought to be. Well, guys, let me share with you this morning. Don't follow the crowds. Don't follow the crowds that are going to scream. Do away with Him. Don't follow the leaders that are going to say, if you're going to be a Christ follower, hit the roads. Hit the bricks. Don't follow the crowds. Those that yelled the loudest that day, Hosanna, were certainly some of the ones that at the end of the week were saying, give us Barabbas and crucify him. So why did they turn so quickly? It is because of this. God is sovereign. He operates in His own time, his own dis- at His own discretion. And many of these things that you and I see that God does, that we become disappointed in because they're not fitting the idea of what we think He ought to do. How can God save somebody like that? That same Holy Spirit that is working in Ted Turner's life is the same Holy Spirit that called your name to a faith in Jesus Christ. He called you. How hard is it going to be this morning for you and I to go ahead and say, you know, let's bow our heads and let's pray for those folks that are up in Franklin at the safari that was opened up and torn to pieces and, and at Alto where 30 people are now in a hospital because they were, they were stricken with this terrible storm that came. It's easy to pray for those folks. But when we get to a person like Ted Turner, who, by the way, if you kick back a little earlier, find out that Ted Turner knows his Bible better than anyone in this room this morning. He wanted to become a minister. And when a loved one of his that he'd prayed for was not healed of a dread disease, he gave up on God. How easy is it to pray for somebody that is broken, that is unlovable? Please hear this. We live in a nation right now. You, oh boy, I feel a sermon coming on. You are a citizen. You are not a subject. You are a citizen. That means everyone in this room, every person that you see is on equal footing. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care what office you have. You are equal to every other person you will see in the United States of America. That's not so if you're a subject. 
Your life is held by the crown. You and I, as Christ followers, are citizens of this great nation and subjects to Jesus. Please hear this. There are those in our nation who want to go ahead and make everyone have to report only to our leaders and government. That is not our Constitution. This is not political, folks. It isn't. You have only one that you report to, and he died on a cross for your sin. But every other person that is in leadership, the Bible says we ought to pray for and ask God to bless. So I can stand here this morning and ask God to bless Ted Turner, and so can you. Don't be like the crowds that want to say, you're either on this side or this side. There's no middle ground. Let me share with you. In Christ Jesus, God is working on both sides. And he is working to the middle so that he can go ahead and share about himself to everyone. He is not about conservative or liberal politics. He is about the people that are involved in that. God remains untamed in your life. Choosing Jesus means that you have a dangerous, untamed God leading your life. A God that would require your very life for His purpose to fulfill His plan. And you are not in charge of your life anymore. It might be important before you choose what kind of king you want to understand that King Jesus may say, I'm sending you halfway around the world. And oh, by the way, you might not come back. You choose an untamed God because His power is only perfected in your weakness. Let me close with this. And this is not rhetorical. You've got to answer this. If you don't answer this, the ZD burns, so better get busy. What is one thing you do pretty well? Play softball. What? You're good at quitting on stuff? Hold on that. Different sermon, different day. Come on, folks. We got these people in game. They're saying something. If you all don't say anything, I got 30 more minutes. Come on, let's go. What are you good? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, ma'am. What? You can sing. All right. Who else? Come on. Two more. Yes, ma'am. You can talk. Let me tell you what. If you're lonely, call Lillian Rushing, okay? All right. You're solved, okay? Somebody else. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes, Chris. Pardon me? You can shoot. You're a Marine. You have to. Every, by the way, every Marine must be able to... By the way, he's not shooting a gun. He's shooting a rifle, okay? There's a difference, okay? And he can shoot. Every Marine has to end up being, for lack of a better word, a person. He can do that. By the way, he can also work on F-35s. Pretty talented kid. We've got all of these talents. But guys, listen to me. 
The God who gave you those talents, the God who created you, is the very God that wants you to choose Him. He has already chosen you, and He wants you to choose Him this day. To be the person that is standing out there going, Yay, Jesus! We're so glad you're coming into Jerusalem today. And to do that, and not at the first time that you hit opposition, you go, Where's God now? Man, anybody else but God would be better right now. He wants you to go ahead and grow in a consistency and a love relationship with Him so that for the rest of your life, the rest of your life, you will choose Him every day. You see, as a Christ follower, we don't just say, hey, I got saved on on this day in April in 2019. I asked Jesus in my arm, good to go. No, that's the beginning, guys. Because when you walk out of these doors this morning, you're going to have the opportunity to choose Jesus and choose to do what He wants you to do. And as you walk to your car and get in your car and back out and some, as I I picked on the Methodist Hall, some crazed Presbyterian tries to blow through the stop signs here and you barely get done, done with trying to think what you ought to have God do to that person. God wants you to choose Him. Why is this important? Because many of those people that were screaming the loudest were yelling the loudest a week later. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Him. Let's pray. Holy Father, in the next few minutes, it's not just the end of this church service. God, it is the beginning of your call to our, our lives to follow you. I pray that you'll help us listen and that we will simply do what you tell us to do. If there are folks here today that would say, you know, I want a relationship with you, God, and I choose to go ahead and have that, and I'm thankful that you came into my life and, and are going to forgive my sin, that you hear this prayer. God, if that's happening in someone's life right now, Help us to rejoice with that person. There are folks here, Father, that that want to plug into a church family. And if this is that place, this is that time, then give them the grace and the ability to go ahead and make it known. Whatever happens today, God, it is about you and not about us. It is for your glory and not about ours. May we go ahead and turn our lives over to you and choose you again. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Stand together. Our praise band is going to go ahead and share in a song. During this song, I'll be here at our our altar area. If God is speaking to you about a decision that needs to be made, I'd love to pray with you about it. You want to come and join the church, this is that time. You want to come and say, I belong to Jesus, and I want to go ahead and let folks know that this is that time. You come as God leads.